So uh, good morning, good morning all our campuses, and uh, we had a powerful testimony here at the Crown Point campus uh, from uh, Kevin. Thank him and his family for that very powerful example, and uh, what a story of grace they are. Fits perfectly with where we're going in our message today. Uh, but here we are, Family Month at Bethel Church. We have been spending this January just talking about where the rubber meets the road, these relationships that we live uh, in community with every day. We began with marriage and talked about how a Christian marriage is uh, built on the understanding that I am a sinner, that God has loved me a sinner, that in this marriage I'm called to live with this sinner in a similar pattern that God loved me and what that looks like. And last week we talked about when my family isn't perfect, And uh, basically the same principle applied there, living in community with people that disappoint and annoy and offend, and how do I view this, and what should I do? Again, stretchy love, gospel humility, living in a, with a servant mindset with my imperfect family, and uh, understanding that uh, the gospel tells me that I'm the worst sinner in the room. That's a great family when everybody's convinced that they're the worst sinner in the family. And so today we're going to talk about uh, cultivating a culture of grace, a gospel culture in your home. But I want to just pause next weekend, and I don't do this very often, okay? I don't pull this card out very often, but your pastor is begging you to come back next weekend. And the reason I beg you is that next weekend we're going to be talking about parenting. And from a pastoral perspective, so many struggles and challenges come uh, with even Christian families essentially winging it. You know, we sort of joke that, uh, you know, these kids, they don't come with an owner's manual, what do we do? Let's just wing it and just kind of wing it and don't realize that God has a plan for parenting, and the Bible has a lot to say about how to parent children, um, and we don't have to, you know, listen to Dr. Phil or some other secular whoever and, and, and think, oh, this is, this is the way that it needs to be. The Bible tells us ancient wisdom from the Holy Spirit uh, gives us principles for parenting, and so I'm begging you to come back next weekend, okay? Just please come back and I think it's going to be a tremendous help to our church family. All right, this week, creating a a culture in the home, a Christian gospel culture in the home. And as we think about every home and every marriage, all of them have a culture to them. Your home has a, a culture. It has a certain way of doing things, a certain way of relating to one another, And it doesn't matter what category you are in here today. You can be single, and your home setting has a culture to it. Or you can be uh, married with no kids, or you can be married with kids, or you can be a widower with kids, or you can be a grandma with grandkids. And it doesn't matter. All homes have a culture to them. And I want to talk about that culture that culture, that unwritten sort of code of the way that we do things here, the way that we relate to one another here. Often it's not, on, it's not a list of uh, cultural values on the wall. It's just sort of unspoken and understood. 
This is who we are. We're the Smiths. This is how we roll around here. And that culture, whatever yours is, feels very normal to you. And I know this because when you get married, all of a sudden you're introduced to a whole different culture, right? It's a, marriage is a cross-cultural experience. You don't have to go on the mission field to get, have a cross-cultural experience. Just marry somebody. Because now their whole family has a certain culture and a certain way that they do things and the way that they look at things. And oftentimes that's very different than the way that you looked at things and the way that your family operated. Whatever your culture was growing up, your family, that's what's normal. And we can sometimes view what's normal to us as being the way that sane people think about things. And the way that our spouse or other family person does it is like, you know, the, the crazy thoughts of a madman. I thought that was funnier than it came out. <laughs> Apparently humor is not in the culture of your home. Or maybe you're saying good humor is not in yours, Steve. That's probably more like it. Jennifer and I are still discovering cultural differences between her family and background and way of looking at things and the DeWitts. And that might be the rest of our life. Some of you long married people keep doing that. So that culture that you have in your home didn't just magically appear. It comes to us as a result of choices that we make. Past choices that we made or our parents made, and that choice became a habit, and habits become culture. And then they feel just normal. This is the way that things ought to be. This is the way that it is. If I had more time, maybe we could uh, allow some people to come up and just describe for us the culture of your home, okay? What does it mean to be a miller? Right here, okay? What is that? Or a moreno. What does that mean to be, if I was to live in your home for a week, what would be the culture of the home? Now, there's nothing wrong with culture itself. In fact, all homes have to have a certain culture, a certain understanding of behavior and the way that we're going to communicate. But here's the thing. Because of our fallen nature, all of our cultures are fallen as well, okay? There is no perfect home culture in any family in our church, okay? We're sinners. Our perspective is fallen. We see things not the way that God sees them. But family cultures can change. And part of my desire in this message, and I don't have any fantasy that this is going to magically change all of our cultures, mine included, but cultures can change. And that change is something that God wants in every single home. If you are resistant to what I'm talking about here, you are not aligned with the will of God. And the reason that I can say that is that God's goal in every home and every family member is to conform us to the likeness of Jesus, essentially to recreate the life of Christ, the life of the triune God within our home. And because of that, we're always in need of changing culture. The reformers talked about the church this way. They had a little saying. They said, reformed and always reforming. Speaking of the fact that no church ever arrives, it is, yes, reformed. Doctrinally, it's the gospel and etc. But it has to ongoingly be in the process of changing. And part of this is us wanting that change. 
And that's hard, when, especially when it comes to the culture in a home, because it feels safe to us. It feels normal to us, even if it is not the culture that God would desire. So I've intentionally picked a word here uh, to describe this process, and the word is cultivate, okay? Cultivate. Our homes and our marriages and our families are like a garden, and to, to have a garden with fruits and vegetables and uh, whatever, flowers, whatever the kind of garden it is, that's an agricultural concept. In order to have those, you have to feed and nourish the things that you want, and you have to constantly be in the process of weeding out the things that are counterproductive to the fruits and the vegetables and the flowers that you're wanting to grow in the garden. And our families are the same. All of our families, we should, if we're Christians, have certain things that we're wanting to cultivate, that we want to see grow. We want to become more and more evident in our homes. But we all have weeds. We all have things that maybe feel normal to us, right? Like if, if you didn't, if, if you just sort of got used to it, you're, you look out and you look at the, the, all the dandelions in your yard and you go, aren't they beautiful? Look at all the pretty dandelions. I love the color yellow. And you don't realize that's a weed out there. And that weed needs to go. But if that dandelion has been there like your whole life, you may not realize it needs to go. Okay? So cultivating a culture in your home is an ongoing process. Nobody arrives, nobody here is there. Ongoing process of nourishing and fertilizing the things that God wants culturally to be in that relationship and to constantly be in the process of removing the things that he doesn't want. So what are the things that a Christian home, a gospel-shaped home, will be seeking to cultivate? And I have three primary things. We could add probably a dozen things to this, but I'm trying to hit the big three. This is just one message, okay? Uh, Number one. In fact, I put this number one because I think it's the starting point for everything else. A Christian home is going to seek to cultivate a fear of the Lord. A fear of the Lord. Now, I begin there because this is where Solomon began in describing a a home, a wise home. Here's what he writes in Proverbs 9, verses 9 and 10. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Wisdom is a gift from God. Wisdom is what God himself is. He is altogether wise. But he gives to us wisdom by a human being understanding who he is. And by this specifically, his majesty, his holiness, his glory, his power, these are all qualities that, that put God rightly transcendent and glorious in heaven above. A human being is on the path to wisdom when the starting point is that I get that God is the big thing here. And a Christian home, if it is going to be a godly home, a wise home, it is going to understand that the home is not about the home. And my whole life is not about raising these kids. And my whole thing isn't about my marriage. 
The marriage, the home, the kids exist under the glory and the power and the majesty of God himself. That we all exist for him. And wisdom begins when I see, I have like a worshipful perspective on God and seek to bring his power, his presence, his will and purpose into my marriage and into my family and into my parenting. I think about Joshua who clearly understood this when he said it this way, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Could your, could, would, does the culture of your home reflect that sense, like Joshua, that here in this house, I don't know about my neighbors, and I don't know about my people behind me and across the street, but in this house, we're going to serve the Lord here. He is the big thing. And from that flows then wisdom. The starting point of a godly culture is a home where the Lord is reigning over it. And of course, this is a struggle because there are so many other little gods that are competing in a family with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Gods of personal comfort, man, this has got to be my way and I got to be comfortable and it's got to work the way that I want it to work. Or affluence, man, we're a great Christian family when we are materially successful. Or maybe it's the success of the kids. Our whole purpose, our whole identity is in that GPA. I don't want an A minus. I don't want a B plus. It's got to be an A. Or your free throw percentage. Or whatever it is with the kid. You start there, and all of a sudden, you have what the Bible calls folly. Or Proverbs, again, it says it this way. When a country rebels, it has many rulers. A home that is in rebellion against God, where they are not in submission to God, is a home where you got all kinds of little fiefdoms. And so you've got dad, he's got, I'm the king of this castle, you do what I say. And then you got the son, who this is my room, no girls allowed. Mom and dad, you can't say what happens inside these walls, this is my space. Who are you to tell me what to do? Oh well, yeah, I'll tell you what to do, and you're going to tell me what to do. And you see how this goes, right, in families, when everybody thinks they're a ruler, A Christian family understands none of us are the ruler. God's the ruler of this home. Okay, That is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. All of us have probably seen what happens in a home when wisdom is not guiding, where there is not a fear of the Lord. Proverbs again describes it this way, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Describing here a woman, but it can be a man or a son or a daughter whose foolish choices, whose rebellion against God, whose refusal to operate within that family as God intended divides the family and maybe even destroys it. That is the effect of non-wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I begin with this sense of reverence in the home. There is a sense in this home where there is a deity here, and we are in submission to him. He's the big deal. Fear of the Lord, godly family. Secondly, is honor and authority. Honor and authority. We're talking about a wise house with wisdom. Secondly, we're talking about a well-ordered home. Now, why do I say that? Because... 
Whenever God takes over something or whenever God creates something, he always brings order to it. We can go back to Genesis chapter 1 where the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. There's sort of like chaos, right? And God creates and he brings this majestic, beautiful order to the universe. You've got galaxies and you've got orbits and planets and moons and you get down and you got atoms that are perfectly doing their thing and molecules. I mean, you look at the universe, God brought an incredible order and beauty to this entire place. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And so I take from that and the character of God that when God moves into a church, for example, a church where everyone's fighting and everyone's squabbling and everyone's got their fiefdoms and I want to be in charge and you do this and you do that. When God, when the Holy Spirit comes down upon a people, it, there is peace. And suddenly what is in disorder is brought into order. And the same is true with a family. Families can have chaos and problems and troubles, but when the Spirit of God comes down upon a family, what has been in disorder is brought into order. As the family members now, submitting to, again, the reign of God in the home, willingly take their part and place in God's plan for the family, without resenting the other family members or pretending that they're the other family members, they say, this is who I am, and this is how God has said that I am to operate in this home. And God has a plan for the home. I don't know if you know that or not, but there is a plan. We don't make this up, right? If you negotiate with your kids, role and responsibility in the home, <laughs> you know, it's like the U.S. and Iran or something. You know, it's just not going well, right? That was a political statement. I shouldn't have said that. But Pastor Saeed got out yesterday. We can be glad for that, can't we? Right? So, this is not a negotiating thing. The God of heaven has said, I came up with marriage, I came up with children and family, and this is what an ordered family looks like. Now, to make it simple, I've just designed a very simple little chart here, and you can find where you fit in the chart. And I'll give some verses for each of, these, uh, each of these places. So, who's the head of a Christian home? It is the ruling, rightful Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And it begins there, right? This home exists for Jesus. It's all about him. God has established in the home that the husband is, this is headship, biblical headship, is the head of the marriage and is the head of the home. Here's 1 Corinthians 11.3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay, so there's that line of authority. Jesus has deputized authority within the marriage relationship and within the home, first of all, to male leadership. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is itself his savior. Now, we covered some of this two weeks ago, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but just to acknowledge again that there is an order that God has established. 
And again, to say, this is a functional authority within the home. It is not a state, it is not a, a uh, authority based on worth, value, or smarts. Any more than within the triune God, fa- the Father is smarter or worth more than the Son or the Spirit. They are all equal. And yet, within the triune God, you have a functional authority. And to prove this in a family that it's not based on worth, can anybody question the value and worth of a child? So this is not a worth-based thing. This is a functional authority within the home. All right. Now, kids, you might be saying to yourself, hey, could you read a verse that talks about the authority that we have in the home? Let me uh, just take a moment looking for one of the... There isn't one, all right? (laughs) Children, I'm happy to tell you, you have it so easy. Like, there's complexity to being a husband and a wife and a father and a mother. It's hard. Kids, it's easy for you, all right? So easy. You say, well, what? Well, you only have two things. Two things that you have to do. This is it. You have to obey your parents and you have to honor them. That's it. Isn't that great? Kids are going, I don't know if I like that, right? Well, notice, children, there is an attitude and there's an action. The attitude is honor. Honor your father and mother. In fact, let me read the verse. I think I have it here. I should have read it. Children, this is Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Okay, so honor is an attitude. And in the, honor, in the, in the attitude of honoring, you are giving weight to, seriousness to, and respect to, your parents. This is a demeanor. This is a style. This is a tone that you give off when they ask you to do something or to be a certain way. Are you gladly surrendering to them in honor? Or is it a stopping off sort of thing? Okay? Because the second thing is that you have to obey them. This is not, again, there are no negotiations within a godly home. And parents, please don't get into a negotiating relationship with your kids. They're probably better at it than you are, all right? And they will badger you and berate you and wear you down. Don't even start with it. Children. work? All right, we'll just finish with this then. Children obey. And uh, let's see, where was I? All right, I'm still on the kids. And the parents said, kids, you might say to yourself, but, 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 and actually, your butt has something to do with this. (laughs) And if your parents say you shouldn't use that word, then forgive me, all right? But, (laughs) 
The Bible authorizes your parents that when you do not honor them with your attitude and when you disobey them, they are authorized to introduce your butt to the board of discipline. Or as my mentor in ministry used to say, he said, it's amazing. When you discipline children here, God gives them wisdom here. And there is a lot of truth to that. So just to be clear, this is part of God's plan. God has a plan. So burdened for families as we deviate from this plan that God has given and all of the trouble and all of the arguing and all of the dissension that flows from that, okay? Again, even a perfect home is going to have some of that, but there is a plan. And let's make sure that we are families of order and the family members understand their role in the family. That's a flower that you want to fertilize in your home. The third is really the one I'm going to spend all the rest of my time on. And uh, this one I'm calling the grace of the gospel. The grace of the gospel. This is the essence of a Christian home. And this is what makes it distinctively Christian because, I mean, everything I've said up to this point, a secular counselor probably could say, you know, everybody needs to understand how your home's going to operate. You need to be well-ordered in your home, you know, and uh, you ought to seek wisdom in your home. But if there is something that is distinctively Christian in all the religions of the world, Lewis said this, it is grace. So therefore, a Christian family will have this distinguishing quality, grace, especially in their relationships with one another. What is grace? Grace is undeserved kindness and favor towards others. The grace of God is, is undeserved by us. It is not performance-based. It is not me earning righteousness-based. It is God simply out of his grace extending favor, saving favor and kindness to me, a sinner. Grace. So therefore, grace that we receive from God, this God-loving the sinner, gives the Christian in the family a pattern for loving the sinner in their family. God loved me, a sinner, in terms of grace. Now I have a brother. I have a sister. I have brother-in-law, mother-in-law, whatever. Now, who is a sinner? And as a family member, I know their sin. Oh, do I know their sin. But as a Christian now, with a capacity to give what I have received towards the person who has offended me far less than my sin offended God. When we are not this way, relationships become transactional in a family. You do this for me, then I'll do this for you. You ask me to go this place with you, well, then you're going to have to go over here and do this thing with me. Everything has to balance like a financial statement. I get what I give. I'm not going to give anything more than I get from you. And these relationships that are transactional very quickly freeze over because as sinners, 
we feel our offense from people far greater than, let me say this right, we feel offense from people for their sins against us far greater than we feel their offense for our sin should be to them. Now, that was a totally confusing sentence, right? Their sins always seem greater than our sins. And so, therefore, we always feel like they should be indebted to us when we're in a transactional-based family relationship. And when it's like that, you end up in Alcatraz. You know, they talk about Alcatraz. There's no getting out of Alcatraz, except Clint Eastwood, right? You can't get out of Alcatraz. And there are family relationships that are very much like that, where everything's bars, everything's jail. You, you, you go in there, and you're not getting out. It could be 15 years since that whatever thing at the Thanksgiving dinner, you're still in Alcatraz in the eyes of your family member. There's no getting out. There's no grace. There's no reprieve. There's no second chance. It's a life sentence. You are there forever. This is what makes a Christian family so distinct and, frankly, so wonderful, is the capacity for forgiveness and the giving of what is not deserved. This is the opposite of the passive-aggressive, right? You've offended me. I will withdraw relationship from you. Aren't you glad God didn't do that? Aren't you glad God's not in heaven all passive-aggressive on us? I'll give love to you when you come groveling to me, when you deserve it from me. Then maybe I'll give you love again. God just gives it freely because he is a God of grace. Here's some passages that talk about this grace, Ephesians 2.5, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Powerful words there. By grace we've been saved. Not who we are, not our actions, not our deservings. Grace is the basis of it. Romans 11.6, for it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Here's John 1.16, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. In other words, being a Christian is not about me one time receiving grace from God, now I am regenerated, now I've got eternal life, now I'm going to heaven. That grace is the ongoing experience as a Christian, as God on a daily basis does not treat me the way that my sins deserve, and ongoingly is giving me grace upon grace upon grace. And the Christian family, and I'm putting this out as the way it ought to be, we all fail at this, but that is not an excuse, and we're the ones that suffer from it. The Christian family will see in the gospel the pattern to which they aspire to relate to one another. In the gospel, I want to relate to my father-in-law, not transactionally, but gracely, grace-filledly, where he doesn't have to earn my love. I grant it to him in the same way that God granted me love. And the Christian family is easily identified as a family that is really good at this. Okay, so get out of your minds here that, you know, the, the perfect Christian family, dad's kind of like Billy Graham, and mom's sort of like, you know, Mary Magdalene, and the children are just like too perfect. 
They're a really great Christian family. That is not a great Christian family. A great Christian family is really great at forgiving one another. There's been four occasions for a good amen in here somewhere along there, okay? And by the way, that's the mark of a church family as well, that we're really good at forgiving one another and giving grace to one another. Because God is ongoingly giving grace to us. Romans 10.8, freely you've received, freely give. I shared a few weeks ago about uh, something that Jennifer and I in our marriage have found helpful. And uh, in those times in marriage where you're talking about something, then you're disagreeing about something, then you sort of slip into that arguing about something, and then you slip into that sort of emotions behind the arguing about the something, we find that once we get out in that sort of space in there, it's, it's kind of like uh, Germany and France before World War I. You know, they're digging trenches and they're putting in the Maginot line and all the rest, like there's guns. And you start, you get entrenched in your position and now it's not so much about, what are we arguing about? I don't know, but I don't like the attitude. This is about the attitude, right? And it's just, you get all round around the axle, it's going nowhere. Log jam. We have found it helpful to, it seems simple, but to, we'll say, hey, do we need to hit, do we like need to hit the reset button here? And she and I both know what this means, okay? Not only are we, in hitting the reset button, we are going, you know, rewinding the tape on this but we're also rewinding the offense about the attitudes as we were having the argument. We're hitting the reset, like, okay, let's start over here. Christians, we are able to do that because a Christian is somebody who knows that God is in heaven looking at us going, click, 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 click. And I live every day sort of with this in the back of my, and I'm hearing the echo of this click, 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 click. So now I've got a brother, sister, mom, whatever it is, and she, we're in need of a click. And sometimes it's like, I don't want to. But I am capable of doing that in light of the click, click, click that God is giving to me. I wonder if this could be a goal of your family. Not just like today where you're like, oh, that's probably a good goal. Let's get back to the way we normally operate. But can we like stencil over the family room table? We want to be really good at grace. And to seek that, to cultivate that. What a difference that makes in the tone and the culture of a marriage and a family. I remember one of my most precious memories of my mom growing up is, I remember, I'm, I'm just a boy, I'm seven years old, something like that, four kids in, the, in my family. I remember one day, my mom gathered all of us together. I remember we're standing on the stairs have this picture in my mind, standing on the stairs, and my mom says to us as children, she says, hey kids, I just want you to know, last night, mommy's attitude 
it wasn't right. And I'm asking if you would forgive mommy. Of course, we as kids were like, yes, mommy, yes, you know, forgive you, and the hugs and kisses and all of that. But it stands out in my mind as a gospel moment in the home. And really good families have lots of those kinds of moments, and they grow increasingly accustomed to resolving conflicts by applying grace. And I just have to believe right now that we have in this room families who, you came to church today mad at each other. I had somebody tell me this last week. They said, my daughter and I, teenage daughter and I, we came in, we were yelling at each other, we were so mad at each other, and you got talking about imperfect families, and we just looked at each other and started laughing. So I know the way this can, can, can go on a Sunday morning even, right? You were mad at home, somebody wasn't ready in time, you get in the car, you're grumpy all the way here, you're sitting down, you're sitting next to each other, and now here's Pastor Steve talking about grace, right? And everything in you wants to like elbow somebody that's next to you, a family member, when in reality, maybe what you need to do is just to look at them and go, click, right? And by that, I'm saying I'm ready to not fight about this anymore and to give you grace. Be really good at that and meditate regularly on the massive undeserved grace that God has given to us. So how do we get there? Okay, so I'm putting these three out there, a wise family, an ordered family, and a grace-filled family, three values of a gospel-cultured home. How do we get there? I have a few tips, okay, a few tips for changing the culture of your home. Here's the first, is to have a regular time of family worship and prayer in your home. I think there are a few things that are more powerful in shaping culture in a home than a family that simply opens the Bible or maybe opens an age-appropriate book and reads God's truth into that home setting. And then to pause and to pray together. Because what is prayer? If you think about what is prayer, if I get on my knees and I pray, am I not implicitly acknowledging that, that I am not the king of this home? that I am not sufficient for leading this home, dads, when, you, when, when your kids see you pray, and it's not now I lay me down to sleep, when they hear you pray, and you don't have to be, you know, whoever was a great prayer, you don't have to be that person, but to sincerely pray, when they see you doing that, I will tell you, I've told this to the church this before, in my home growing up, Rarely did I look into my parents' bedroom at around bedtime that I did not see my dad on his knees praying at the bedside. What does that do for a 10-year-old boy? Peeks in. Oh, dad's praying. What do I walk away with that visual? That there is something that is ultimate to my dad, and it's God. That is a powerful impression. It, it's a way of passing on the faith without getting preachy about it. Pray. If your kids grow up in your home, were you raised in a Christian home? Yes, I was raised in a Christian home. Did you pray before we ate? 
And that's it. And all the opportunities when Aunt Lulu calls and Uncle John's got cancer or the your child is sick. Do you pray over your child? Do they hear you praying sincerely, God, bring healing to my child? All of these moments in the day-to-day of life that call for prayer are opportunities, A, to pray, and secondly, to bring a tone and a culture into your home. I would so strongly encourage you to do it. And men especially, if, there is a, if there's a, therm, a thermostat in the home, it is the male leadership. And mom, you are awesome and you can do so much, but dads and husbands, nobody sets the tone of that home more than you do. And I want to, I'm lovingly encouraging you and I'm saying it to myself. We need to be men who step into that order that God has called and where we humbly serve our family by leading them spiritually. And this is not rocket science, and you don't have to be Billy Graham, all right? But to simply, in the day-to-day of life, get in the habit of opening God's Word, reading together, asking little questions, getting the kids curious, having a brief prayer together, it brings God into the home. Do it. Do it. What, what is more important to you than passing the faith on to your children? And when, you get to, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to say, I wish I would have prayed less in front of them. I would also add this. I think the regular habit of involvement in a local church is a kind of spiritual anchor to a family. And when that becomes kind of a maybe hit or miss sort of thing, it communicates to the kids what is important and what is not. And again, I, my parents were not perfect, but I will tell you, you know, here it is, it, I'm preaching to the choir. It's like 20 below zero outside. Children, your parents brought you to church on a day nobody wants to go outside. You should thank them. Why? Because they are communicating to you what's important. And that ongoingly, faithfully, in the day and years, powerful influence powerful. Second tip here is to honor one another with words, manners, and actions. What does a Christian home look like? You know, Ray Ortland Jr., maybe some of you guys, he's a blogger and a pastor and a writer, and uh, he grew up in the home of a godly dad, Ray Ortland Sr., And uh, Ray Orland talks about what it was like to grow up in his dad's home. And he says, my dad would regularly end the meal and just push back from the table and say, okay, let's go around the table and let's affirm one another. You might be thinking to yourself, my family would never do that. We might go around the table and mock each other. Or we go around the table and complain about each other, but to go around the table and say encouraging words to one another, or what we appreciated in that day, or something like that, that just isn't the culture of our home. But shouldn't it be? Shouldn't families be a place of encouragement and words that are uplifting and not just derogatory or mocking? I just think a Christian 
family is going to have a tone of affirmation. I'll add these too. Common courtesies say a lot, don't they? How about just basic please and thank you? Thank you. We're working on this with Kira Lee. She'll be like, I want sippy. We're like, oh, that's nice. I want sippy, daddy. That's nice. Please. Okay, now we'll go get you sippy. I threw that in for free. <laughs> Ladies, does chivalry say something about honor? How about sons holding the door open for mom and sisters? And the lady said, what I'm getting at here is there ought to be a certain sense of honor and dignity in the home. When everything's mockery and everything's derogatory, we have come away from God's plan for the family. You know, this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and we've celebrated this over the years in different ways. And it's right that we say every human life in the womb is precious, image bearer of God. Family is where we get to show that outside the womb, right? In the way that we treat one another. And every single, that brother, that sister is an image bearer of God. If they're a Christian, an object of the saving grace and love that Jesus died on the cross for, if Jesus would do that for that sister or mother-in-law, does it not just call us to a certain decorum and honor and dignity towards one another? I say yes. I say yes. Third tip is to celebrate what is good, true, and beautiful in the home. You know, you can know a lot about the culture of your home by what you talk about, by what you laugh about, and by what you worry about. The cultural tone. The Bible gives us some values, some expressions. When, when God moves into the life of an individual, there's a certain fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that is evident. And I've got a, a, a chart here. Here we have, this is uh, from Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit takes over a person's life, now there are these evidences in them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what a godly person looks like, sounds like. This is from Philippians uh, chapter 4, where Paul says, these are the things that you are to think about and meditate on, to fill your mind with, things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. So I take from this that a Christian family that has the qualities and the tone, the culture of the gospel will increasingly have these kinds of tones part of the family and will celebrate them and will promote them. At the same time, that family will, under wise leadership, seek to pull out the weeds that are the opposite of this. Don't want this, the opposite of this, to be part of our family culture. So to say this, what is the opposite of good? Evil. What is the opposite of lovely? Crude, crass, 
lewd, locker room humor. What is the opposite of love? Hate and violence. So fill your home with these things and seek to remove the weeds of the other. Avoid, for example, being entertained or laughing at the opposite or being entertained or laughing at sins that Jesus died for. And I'll just say it this way. The television and the internet in many, many Christian homes is, is pumping a constant stream of garbage into the home that is not what is beautiful, praiseworthy, and lovely. And then over the dinner table, it's all about body functions and sophomoric humor, which does not elevate the family, but drags it down into the gutter. I'll share a personal opinion here. If we celebrate and are entertained by violent movies or men beating each other to a pulp or Simpsons-style humor, we are setting a cultural tone. Are those absolutely wrong, Pastor Steve, and no Christian could ever do any of that? Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Wisdom doesn't ask, is it permissible? Wisdom asks, is it beneficial? And the wise parent and the wise husband in the marriage is going to constantly be cultivating in the garden the things that God wants cultivated. And to try to keep out of that place the stuff that drags the family down. And I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about wisdom. So a godly family applies wisdom to their time, their conversation, their entertainments, their leisure, and seeks to apply gospel grace to all of the inevitable failures and offenses with the goal of honoring God in the home. And may God promote those kind of families here at Bethel Church.